Hello and welcome to episode 72 of Red's Unrestricted Podcast. I'm your host, Chloe Bloxham, and I'm joined by Dan Club and David Comerford for our special Summer Transfer Edition. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. It is the dream summer transfer window. This is players that Liverpool are either linked with, already have been, or players that could realistically join us this summer. But before we do get into our usual uh, podcast, first, David spoke to two experts for some insights on Fabio Carvalho. I'm going to go with someone can correct me if that's wrong, um, who's joined from Fulham and also Calvin Ramsey, the right back, who uh, is according to what we believe, going to be brought in as a backup for Trent um, from Aberdeen. So first of all, let's listen to David and his guests. So I'm joined by Morgan Colton, who's a writer and podcaster for Fulham Focus. Um, And we're obviously going to discuss Fabio Carvalho. So I want to start by asking about positions, really, Um, because Liverpool apparently look at Carvalho as someone who can be an option in midfield and across the forward line. Obviously, he played the vast majority of his football at Fulham, um, or certainly to my knowledge, as a midfielder. But do you think he has the game to play as a winger and as potentially as a centre-forward too? I mean, first off, you've got yourself a very, very talented player. So, in theory, given the fact he's only 19, he could be, you know, sort of converted into sort of any player I would say across the front line um, for us, he's played primarily and actually I think really only as a number 10. Um, so he was supporting Mitro uh, last season. And don't forget, he's only got one full season under his belt. He only had a couple of appearances after we'd been relegated uh, the season before that. Uh, to have him as a winger, yeah, I think that could be something that he can do. Uh, have him as a sort of a midfielder, especially in the uh, system that you play. I think that's, that's a little bit trickier for me to see. Um, He's, he's a very slight player, um, and I don't think sort of any amount of, uh, you know, gym work is going to get him into, you know, a big bulky midfielder that you might need. Uh, but he, he is definitely a creative player. So as a winger or, you know, potentially as a, you know, say perhaps a false nine, he could do okay. But that's going to take a lot of training, I think. Right now, he's very comfortable in the number 10 role. Obviously, the championship is a huge, uh, you know, step down, as it were, from the Premier League. But I think that's the kind of role you want to sort of see him play if he's going to step into the team right away. But obviously, given the fact that you play with the front three, that's probably not going to happen. So it will be interesting to see what uh, Klopp does with him this season, if he indeed does sort of uh, give him much game time. Well, there are some Liverpool fans who who think that Klopp should maybe look towards a, a 4-2-3-1 um, formation himself and obviously that would potentially suit Cavalio better. It's interesting as well what you say about um, maybe not having the bill that's required to play in midfield. I think you are right that he probably would take quite a lot of training in there but I, I do look at someone like Harvey Elliott who, who obviously you're familiar with as well and think you know he isn't someone who's you know particularly you know well built but he did look he kind of looked okay Um in that midfield role, although there were games as well where you probably would, would have wanted a bit more in terms of physicality. But you mentioned it really straight off the bat there in terms of Carvalho's level. How good do you think he is right now? So 
not really thinking about his potential just yet, but more focusing on his ability at this stage. Can he be more next season than just a cup player for Liverpool? I think so. I think given the players that he'll have around him, um, it's it's somewhat comparative to how Fulham were in the Championship this year. There were games where we just dominated the game completely, and he was an integral part of that. Uh, even after all the sort of um, rumours about him leaving in January, we had a couple of sort of uh, games where he went missing for a bit. But after that, his clearly his head got back into it, and he he was part of a very good team, and he, he just excelled uh, for the most part. And I think he could come in automatically, uh, sort of immediately, and be an important player for Liverpool. But at the same time, if he is having to change system, I think you might see uh, it might phase him a little bit. Uh, I think he'll be, you know, motivated to learn and develop. But yeah, right this second, I think it's going to be an interesting. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how he does uh, adapt to a whole new team and a whole new system. So I think you will get a very, you will see him on the ball and go, he's very talented. But you know whether he's going to be playing ninety minutes at a time straight off the bat, I, I, I doubt it. Yeah, it's interesting because there's always an expectation of a of a delay and of players, you know, needing time to adapt and being held back. But I think the thing which really has made Liverpool fans wonder is what happened with Elliot last season, you know, starting it in just the second game and, and making a few starts in a row. And I think, you know, a key thing on that note is he's going to get a full pre-season at Liverpool effectively. So that will be, I think, crucial in terms of him being able to adapt to that new system, like you mentioned. Um, I wanted to talk about the actual price tag, though, because obviously it was a bit of a unique situation um, with what was happening with his contract. So... By the from what I've read, Liverpool are going to end up paying about seven point seven million all told. Once you include, you know, the add-ons mm-hmm. in the deal, how much do you think he would have sold for had his contract not been a factor and had Fulham really been in a position to, well, if Fulham had been in a stronger negotiating position, really? Well, if you look at uh, in sort of comparison to Ryan Sessegnon when we sold him to Spurs, we got thirty million for him. He signed a contract uh, just, you know, the year before, knowing full well that he would likely leave in the following summer. But it was essentially helping the club out to be able to demand a transfer fee for him. If Cavallo had been in that same situation, I reckon, you know, we could have been looking at 30, 40 million for him. I think it's an absolute steal. It's a massive failing in um, the club not to have tied him down sooner. And I know that the whole thing was, he was changing his agent uh, last year. But when you have these players in the youth team, you can see how talented they are at a young age. When he hit 17 and you knew what he was going to be, you know, quite forced to you know, be reckoned with, they should have gotten tied into a three-year contract then. Now, you know, obviously, with sort of bonuses and you know, wage rises, depending on this, that, and the other, but they just let it go. And Marco Silva last year said if I'd been in charge um, earlier I don't think we'd be in this situation now I don't know if that's suggesting that Scott Parker was the one who was against giving him a longer term contract uh, or perhaps you know Parker and Cavallo didn't really get on I don't know what the situation was behind the behind closed doors but it's it's a really bad thing for us in the sense that we've now let two of our very young, talented players get away. And there's a couple more as well who have gone by the wayside to other clubs. 
and it's something that you know in the future we've got to be more uh, wary of because I think we've been very naive in this respect and I think we've been too careful to make sure that they're the finished article before giving them a, a longer term contract so I think hopefully having our fingers burnt two three times in this way will mean that we don't have this uh, issue again because we've got a couple of really good youth players as well and we don't end up being a feeder club for Liverpool <laughs> which we seem to be at the moment. Well obviously it's um, a big compliment to uh, to Fulham's youth setup. I mean Liverpool have this this really seems to have like, almost like a relationship with a few different teams. Um, I think the the Red Bull staple is massive in, in this respect where they a lot of the time will look at young players from those teams and I think it's just a sign of Liverpool's kind of admiration for, for how they run and, and how good they are at spotting and, and developing players. But obviously it's music to our ears as Liverpool fans as much as it'll be frustrating to you to hear that valuation because really that, that's a good barometer of the kind of play we're talking about here. And Liverpool can pat themselves on the back, certainly from their point of view, about about this particular piece of business. But to think about the future, um, just to end, how good do you think he can be? Um because obviously you've mentioned there sort of a 30, 40 million figure. So by the sounds of it, you know, given his age and experience, if that was what Fulham would have been demanding for him in an ideal world, then we must be surely dealing with someone who can go right to the very top. Yes, I, I have no doubt that he's got the talent to go to the very top. I think he, uh, you know, even last season he had, 10 goals and 8 assists in the championship which is you know it's no mean feat because that's a tough league you know it may not be the sort of level of uh, level of quality you get in the premier league but for a player of his size and age to be able to sort of you know dominate in that way at 18 19 years old um it, it, he is going to be remarkable and i think he is probably you know whilst i would have loved to him to have stayed at fulham um and develop and be you know one of our own for many years to come you know, you can't argue with the fact that he's going to a world-class club. And I think if anyone's going to help him develop, I think, you know, he's probably in the sort of, you know, the best place to do so. So as long as Liverpool sort of keep on, you know, their own trajectory of, you know, winning uh, winning leagues, winning cups, um, and he's part of that and an integral part of that team, I think you could see him in the next three, four years um, really being one of the world's best. Well, that's that's even more uh, music to my ears, and certainly music to now. What should really go sort of down listening. the wrong path? <laughs> so you know, yeah. so like hopefully, you know, I'm no scout, but I mean, from what we've seen this year, I think yeah. Yeah, you can be very happy with the uh, the play you've got. And obviously, like you alluded to there, you know, I'm sure Klopp would be absolutely buzzing to have the chance to work with him, and from a Liverpool fan perspective, to know that he is going to be working under a world class coach like Klopp, you know, gives you even more confidence that he can realise that potential and. Maybe um, at some point we'll see uh, a, mi- a midfield or certainly a future Liverpool side which has uh, two uh, Fulham youth graduates in it um, in the form of, of Elliot and Cavalier. So I'm joined now by Rory Britton, who's a reporter at Aberdeen Live and will obviously be talking about Calvin Ramsey. So Ramsey will potentially be coming in as the deputy to Trent Alexander-Arnold, but... I guess I'm wondering how do they actually compare in terms of their playing style? Now, obviously, Ramsey, given the stage of his career that he's at, isn't going to be anywhere near the level of Trent at this point, nor should he be expected to. 
But would you say he's someone who has a lot of natural technical gifts like Trent and also has a, a top-level passing range as well, which is obviously a feature of Trent's game? Yeah, I, I definitely agree that there's a way to go before we can start comparing the two evenly. But yeah, he is, he's been one of the brightest players in Aberdeen's pretty dreadful season, really. He's been a very forward-thinking player and always looking to try and drive the attack in the way that Trent does and start creating some pretty good chances. I mean, Aberdeen have been pretty woeful up front this season and they've only bagged about 40 goals the whole campaign and he's led to some sort of goal contribution to at least a quarter of them. So he's always trying to sort of create something from the wide areas to try and encourage the attack to get get on the front foot. But um, he is very, it's very difficult to sort of assess whether he is gifted or not um, because he's been sort of held back by just the general performance of the team. And I feel that given a platform to sort of show off what he can do creatively, I think that there is a really, really good player hiding there. Yeah, that's obviously true. You know, hopefully making the step up will kind of bring out the extra level. And we, we, we see that quite a lot. But there's a dilemma that Liverpool have, and they had it on the left-hand side with uh, Robertson, and they managed to get Simakas in um, as a backup, and they've done really well on that score. But with Trent, it's even more of an issue because he's probably a slightly higher level than Robertson is. And he's sort of locked in to this team as kind of the central figure for probably the best part of a decade. So any right-back who comes in is aware of that situation and especially a young right back could just be signing themselves up in theory for you know a long period as a deputy almost in Trent's shadow so why do you think that Ramsey is willing to, to make this move well I can't remember many lads at this sort of young age of their career that were given any sort of chance in being in a team like this Liverpool team at the minute yeah it's it's Probably a similar case to Simicast in that, you know, you you unveil this sign and you think, oh, great, we've got a new player. And then you don't really see much of them to begin with, because as we've seen with a lot of Liverpool players, it takes time for them to adapt. But as we saw with Simicast at the start of this season, Robbo gets injured, he has to step up and he, he proved himself. And I think for a player like Calvin Ramsey, who is currently in the Scottish Premiership, I think the pull from the English Premier League at the minute is just far too strong to say no to. And, you know, the, these are the kind of opportunities to move that you you know that you might not get 30-plus games a season when you're up against someone like Trent for a starting spot, but you just know that this might be your one moment you get called up to or given the chance to move to a club like Liverpool. And I think in this stage that you know, the Liverpool team's in, you know, they were chasing a quadruple and everything. I think it's foolish to turn it down. And it's something I think about quite a lot, actually, is obviously we talk a lot about players wanting to play um, week in, week out, and that just being an inherent wish of every footballer. And obviously, to a large degree, that's true, but there's also a chance to be, to be part of something, even if you're not going to be maybe one of the biggest stars, you know, you will have obviously seen what Liverpool were competing for last season. I think a lot of players will have as well and thoughts you know, they'd just be desperate to kind of be within that circle. I think that there's potentially an element of that too, but let's talk about the actual transfer fee or at least the mooted one of £4 million. 
let's say Ramsey was playing for a Premier League side, like a bottom half Premier League team. Do you think that he'd be selling for much more based on the level he's at? And and is it the case that because he's at Aberdeen, they maybe aren't in a position to demand like a lot of money for him? Or is it simply that he is a four million player at this moment in time? I don't think it would be wise of Liverpool throwing an insane amount of money for a guy who's only just got through sort of his first full professional campaign. But I I would say it is it it feels for people who've probably watched Ramsey week in, week out, four million probably feels quite harsh and a bit stingy, but at the same time, I think that's a fair estimate. Um for a club like Aberdeen, that's it to Liverpool fans, four million's really not much. But to Aberdeen, that's a massive amount of money. And the club are undergoing a massive summer rebuild after what's been a pretty bleak campaign. You know, there's a big clear out on the way. And um for the way that finances are working at Aberdeen, there is a lot to that can be done with four million. And you know, there's talk of potential add-ons from if Ramsey's getting game time with Liverpool potentially, or if there's a future Scotland appearance in the first team for them. Um, and Aberdeen as well, they've got a bit of a, a history with sort of the underselling of players. You know, we've seen Scott McKenna at Nottingham Forest this season. He's been absolutely massive in their return to the Premier League, but they only let him go from Aberdeen for three million. So he's the current record sale. And there were a lot of fans at the time who sort of thought, well, he's been massively undersold for the talent he is here. We've not really cashed in enough. So I think that doubt is still in the back of the minds of Aberdeen fans. But I I'd say that four million is a pretty pretty fair fee. You know, he's only played the best part of thirty or so games at, you know, a top level. And I think much more and it would it would be starting to get a bit silly, I think, if you were going into sort of 10 million plus or anything like that. Well, that's interesting. I think you mentioned about the Scotland appearances. Obviously, there's uh, Nathan Patterson Everton as well, and and he's a bit further down the line in terms of his development. But there could be kind of a situation where you have both of them at the two Merseyside clubs and and competing for that spot in the Scotland side. But in terms of his sort of trajectory, how long do you think it will be before we could see Ramsey playing a Costas Simakas type role where he'd have the trust of Klopp to come in for Premier League and Champions League games. Are we are we thinking about two years maybe before he'd be at that point? My honest estimation, I mean, if if let's say for instance Trent gets injured, I think in the first six months if he's injured, I think we're still looking at Joe Gomez to be the first pick to replace him. Further down the line, then maybe. Because, you know, we had the situation last season with um, Robbo getting injured at the start and Costas having to come in. And Costas, by that point, was a year down the line. So I think there's potential if an opportunity like that arises early on that maybe he could get a chance. But I still feel that it might be way into 2023 before we really see something of him. Um, Obviously, you, you can't sit and predict what future cup draws would be in, you know, the FA Cup, the League Cup. But... Let's say, for instance, there's a draw against maybe League One, League Two. There might be a willingness to sort of give him a, a chance there to show what he can do. But I don't think this is one of these transfers where we can sort of expect 
too much too quickly. You know, I, it would be nice to see him get maybe a handful of minutes here and there or slowly get integrated in. But the, there's a, a big, big difference he's about to go through in the playing style that's been going on at Aberdeen and then this high-tempo Liverpool play. And, you know, we've seen plenty of players turn up and need time to adapt to that. So I, I wouldn't expect too much before 2023, but you never know. Yeah, he certainly will need that adaptation period. And I think I agree with you that for the most part next season, I'd expect to see him popping up in the Carabao Cup. But it's only really one more question to ask. And it's something we asked as well when we were talking about uh, Fabio Cavallo, who's obviously another young player that Liverpool are signing. How good do you think Ramsey can go on to be in his own right? Obviously, he, he might never reach the level of Trent Alexander-Arnold, but this is still a player with heaps of potential, isn't it? Yeah, there, there is a really, really good bit of potential there. Um, it's it's difficult because obviously we you've got all the positions on the pitch and you can you can make comparisons, but it just feels like that with with the standard that Trent has set, you know, it's it's impossible to compare because he's just been that good for Liverpool. But I think that. You know, if he if he sticks at it, if he works hard and things work go his way, I think he can. I, I don't quite think he would match Trent, but I think there's a good chance that he can get towards that level. I mean, we need to remember the kids on the 18 at the minute, so there is a there's still so much development to go on anyway, just with progressing. But I I would like to think that you know maybe for. Three three years down the line or something, I'd like to think that he could get towards that level. Because as well, when Trent was making he, his debut and everything, he was around this sort of age, and he's only got better, better over time. So um, I would think that he can get to a very high level, but I'm not quite confident enough to say even with Trent, because Trent has just been something else for this Liverpool team. So... You know, there's there's a long long way to go for Calvin, but it's it's fantastic to see that you know how quickly things have turned from first team debut with Aberdeen to getting a chance with you know Premier League giants. So it's it's going to be a really really good chance for him. But I I hope that the development goes the right way for him. And that's obviously a marker of of just how well he's done. That it's so quick. Um, to get the interest of those top sides, and and like you say, you know we can never accurately predict how a player is going to develop. We never know just what circumstances might be. Injuries can play a part, all things like that. But if Liverpool get the deal done for four million and he goes on to be kind of in the bracket behind Trent Alexander-Arnold, then I think Liverpool would be very satisfied with that. Thanks so much to David and his guests for that. Uh, some brilliant insight there. And now you get to listen to us three boring people once again, as usual. Um, and first of all, we're going to jump in to midfielders. Uh, as of right now, Tushimeni is pretty much a done deal to Real Madrid for over 100 million. Before I get into who uh, the lads want as their midfielders, I'm going to first come to Dan and just his thoughts on that Tushimeni deal. Because when I saw 100 million, um, I was most defin definitely the person who said, Thank God we didn't do that. 100 million is absolutely outrageous. What did you think, Dan? 
Yeah, I think I'd probably have to agree with you. Um, it seems a little bit too rich for our blood, doesn't it, quite frankly? Um, I don't think, as we'll come on to a little bit later, that sort of money isn't sort of out of the realms of possibility for us to spend. Um, I just don't see it on a midfielder, quite frankly, um, unless it's probably Jude Bellingham. Uh, because there's different factors at play there. There's obviously the English factor for the start. I know Tuchemani is not exactly old, but he's got a couple of years on Bellingham again. Um, so, yeah, I, I probably agree with you. I think £100 million was above and beyond what we'd be willing to do for Tuchemani. Um I do definitely believe we're interested. I think that's legitimate. Um, but we're probably looking at sort of half of that if the initial reports are to be believed. So, absolutely no surprise to see us pull out of that race because... We've seen time and time again, we're not going to be held to ransom, um, even if it's a player we do like. Um, I think we're more than willing to sort of look at alternatives, which is probably what we're going to talk about in a moment. Yeah, 100%. And I think, uh, I don't know what you thought, David, but I was excited at the beginning, you know, the, the thought of Tushimani. I think he scored two goals for Monaco in one of his last games. Um, he, he looked a really good player, but 100 million plus then probably what he's... Uh, on wage-wise, it does seem a bit like we're already not going to do that for, for Mo Salah or Sadio Mane. We're not breaking wage structures for that. Never mind Tushimeni, who's not on their level. Um, and he's not being proven at the highest level. He still, for me, is in League One, which isn't a great um, league. It's not one of the top five. So uh, it kind of seems like Liverpool were right to back out. And at a stage, I thought Real Madrid were also backing out. Um, so whether the, the demands of the player came down a bit, I'm not too sure. Uh, but there was a time where it looked like Liverpool was ahead of Real Madrid. But apparently, according to Fabrizio Romano, who um, I just think he, he quotes a lot of other people, but according to him, he didn't even want Liverpool in the in the first place. Yeah, it's a strange one, I think. Obviously, we're looking at kind of in pounds, it's like over 80 million. and I don't think Liverpool would ever have, have paid that that amount i think they would have paid quite a lot still you know potentially breaking the record for the midfielder which i think i think is Naby Keita. but obviously the money that's being bandied about it is too much like dan said but it's disappointing to miss out on him because um he looks like the full package in terms of a player in his position you know the, the variety of attributes that he has and like probably one of the most promising young midfielders in europe um Maybe not kind of in the brackets of, of a Jude Bellingham, um, but certainly just like immediately below that. So, you know, I like you, Chloe, was, was excited by the prospect of having him. Um, obviously, I can understand why Liverpool haven't pursued it. I think there's an element as well, based on what I've read of him having this kind of Real Madrid dream, which obviously is an enduring thing for some players. Um, you know, when they come call and it's like they're going to kind of supersede every other club that's in the race. Um so, yeah, there's probably a couple of different reasons why we missed out. It's disappointing. Um, and I think one thing about it, and we'll come on to this in a minute, obviously, is the players we've been linked with in midfield, I'm not sure how many of them are actually similar to him. I think there's a Ibrahim Sangare, who I think plays for PSV, who's kind of similar, but whether he'd be at the level just yet, given you know where he's playing at the moment, I'm not sure. Um, so, yeah, whether we were, I mean... Where we put all our eggs in one basket with him. Hopefully not. Hopefully there's another player of the same mould and um, that we can look to who, who will maybe be kind of a bit more reasonable in terms of price tag. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, we've talked about Tushimani, the pros and cons of him. 
Um, and he is going to remedy that this moment. So I'll stick with you, uh, David, first. Who would you want in our midfield then, realistically, to sign this summer? You mentioned Sangaria there. Plays for PSV. Looks like a great player. I mean, if you looked on FIFA, he looks incredible. But in reality, um, the Dutch league is is nothing like the Premier League. Um, even playing in the Champions League, it's very different with the schedule that the Premier League has. You don't just have the Premier League, you have the FA Cup, the League Cup. You then have the Champions League. If you would have won the Champions League, you would have won. Uh, you, you would have been in the Super Cup and everything, the, the, the club, the world club or whatever it is. So... Um, what kind of player do you think is ideal to Liverpool now? And you mentioned Jude Bellingham there. If you can see him potentially being a part of Jurgen Klopp's squad in 2023, what does Klopp do in this moment now for his midfield? Well, I think the first thing to say is about Bellingham because I think all three of us, I mean, I'm quite confident I can speak for you two on this one. You know, if the option was there to sign Bellingham this summer, that for me is number one in terms of you know, the list of priorities. I think the reality of the situation is because they've sold Haaland, they don't want to sell Bellingham this summer and he'll probably move next year. Um, so Liverpool have to kind of position themselves with that in mind, really. So the question is, do you buy someone who's similar to Bellingham or do you kind of wait and then kind of leave the space for him? Or do you buy anyone at all and save the money? So there's a few dilemmas there I think because it's kind of this is kind of dream windows I've not kind of been too restricted by my thinking in terms of that um I think with you know Shuamani he is more defensive minded um than someone like Bellingham so really you'd be looking at him for kind of the left center midfield position um and Bellingham for the right hand side um and the two players that I've actually picked out in terms of you know if, if we were to sign this summer um, our players who I think would be more suited to the right-hand side. So if Liverpool were to actually go through these players, I do think there's that dilemma about Bellingham um, and whether he fits, but I'm sure um, a solution could be worked out. So the first one, the first one I've gone with is Nicolo Barella from Inter Milan. And he's a player who didn't actually play against us and we faced him in the Champions League. But every time I see highlights of Serie A, he seems to do something amazing really um within the games you know we got 13 assists last season which is obviously a really high amount um he is also someone who's going to command a high price tag in the same vein as Shuamadi but the difference um between Inter and Monaco is that Inter are in a bit more of a pressing financial situation they need to make a 50 million profit on transfers this summer um and you know, whether that plays into our hands in terms of maybe an offer late in the window for Barella, who knows? But yeah, so obviously Barella's got the assist to his name. Um, he is quite attack minded, you know, decently high volumes of shots. Um, he can also, you know, carry the ball off the pitch. Um, and he can, obviously through dribbling and he can also progress it through passing. But I think with him, the main attraction for me is just kind of watching him and just almost like being kind of struck by his technical ability. And I think he's a, almost a bit of a, he's someone you could really like identify with in the sense that he, he put, he pours a lot of emotion into his game in midfield as well, I think. So certainly someone that I'd love to see playing for Liverpool. Um, and the other one is, I think, more of a left field suggestion. Um, someone who hasn't had too much talk about him. Um, it's Conrad Leimer from Leipzig. Now, 
Leipzig, obviously, and Salzburg to a degree. Liverpool really like their players. I think they have a lot of sort of respect for how Red Bull are developing players and, and their recruitment systems. And we've seen, obviously, Keita, Kanate. Um, they were interested in Adeyemi. They bought Minamino. So clearly, there is that admiration there. Um, and Limer, again, is is probably someone who'd play right sense midfield, but he can also play he can also play different roles in the midfield and he can play at right back. He doesn't particularly like playing there. Um, but you know, that is an option. And I know I don't know if Dan remembers when we, I think we spoke about transfers last summer and I was talking about potentially getting James Ward Prowse because he can play yeah. um centre mid and right back as well. Um, and obviously he has, you know, very good, you know, crossing technique, which is crucial for a Trent backup. But yeah, the thing with Limer is, you know, there's a few things that, that appeal to me on his front. He's a big game player. Um, he was, you know, he stood out against Italy at the Euros last summer when he's playing for Austria. Um, even in the Champions League when Leipzig were, um, they got beat by PSG. He was man of the match there when they beat Man City, got man of the match again. He scored against Bayern and Dortmund uh, in the Bundesliga this season. And yeah, he's someone who just gets through a lot of work. You know, he augments the attack, um, but he's, he's also got this, you know, really highly regarded work race as well that um, a lot of people have remarked on. So I think he, and crucially, ha- has only one year on his contract. So I think he could be quite a smart signing for a pretty cheap fee. Um, but yeah, I'm keen to get the thoughts of, of you two on this situation with accommodating for Bellingham almost. You know, if Liverpool are to buy him, if Liverpool's plan is to buy him next summer, then do we A, skimp on the price tag? For a midfielder this year, or B, make sure we buy someone who's not too similar in profile. Yeah, I think what you've mentioned there is, you know, really good. You've got the side of Lima who's, you know, not as much, a bit under the radar, um, can fit other positions, which we know Jurgen Klopp loves to do. Jude Bellingham obviously is a problem in, in a certain sense of how much he's going to cost. He's English, so he's, he's going to be overhyped um, to the maximum. But also, you've seen him at the Euros. He's a very good player. Um, And like I said, personally, I love the Barella shout. I like Barella. Um, He was brilliant at the Euros. Really good player. Sometimes it's box-to-box, depending on what you need from him. But we don't have... I think this season, Jamie Carragher, Stephen Gerrard, all of these players have turned around and said the the thing that Liverpool need the most there is a player who, you know, can score from midfield and can influence the game a bit more and not just rely on our front three. And Barella, if you could do that for us, that'd be brilliant. You're kind of hoping the same for Jude Bellingham um, in a couple of years' time. But you look at our midfield, we've got James Milner, who's leaving. Uh, he's, he's signed a contract, but he's at the point now where, you know, absolutely adore the man, but he's going to be there for more backroom situations than he is for on the pitch. Um and eventually he'll be allowed to go and see out his his career, maybe back at Leeds or whatever. You've got Jordan Henderson, who's in his thirties. Thiago is in his thirties. You know, Fabinho, who's all is going to cement his place for years to come. Um, so I think having having a, an addition this season, um, maybe not over the top, but a decent amount, forty million, to then also have Jude Bellingham come in. Um, in, in next year or maybe even the season after, depending on, you know, where Jude Bellingham progresses to. Um, and you've also got to think, it's not going to be just Liverpool who's interested in Jude Bellingham. That would be ridiculous to think. So we will have to fight off some competition. So I really like those those two shouts. I mean, 
Dan, I'll get your thoughts on the Jude Bellingham situation first because I feel like he's the the key factor in all of this, and we could be talking about a player who we might not even get. Yeah, yeah, we could be. Yeah, because you're dead right to mention that there's going to be other teams interested. Um, you know, prodigious talent like that, teenager, like we've all said, English, which not only adds value but also adds a little bit of prestige, I suppose, in a sense, as an English club. Um, but also the, the important homegrown quotas that I'm always so big to mention because they are a factor. Um, we're pretty on top of that with, uh, you know, quite a few English players. We're lucky in that sense. We've got like Sir Harvey Elliott and Trent as well as youngsters. Um, but yeah, I think you know, there's no doubt the Bellingham stuff is there in the background the whole time. Dave dead right in what he said. It's not going to happen this summer. I think that's pretty unlikely. Um, I'd be surprised if we hadn't asked the question. But I'd be even more surprised if it was a positive answer um, because they just can't see Dortmund decimating themselves, um, which they, they will definitely be. Um, in terms of what it does to us this summer, um, I do believe we will potentially look to save a little bit of money, which is perhaps why we didn't go as far as we might have done with the Tushimeni deal. Um But I definitely believe we need someone because we're going to say goodbye to Oxley chamberlain you're dead right in what you say about James Milner. Um, I think Jordan Henderson is probably going to play less football this coming season, I'd have to say. Um, we were relatively lucky. I think we'd all probably admit with Naby Keita last term in terms of his fitness. Hopefully that remains the case, of course. So, and for me, the big one there is Fabinho. Now, you said a second ago he's going to cement his place, um, which is correct. And, you know, for me, he's already... We all know on this podcast how important they are. I think he is to this football team. But I, I genuinely believe we need backup for him. Um, and I don't mean Jordan Henderson and James Milner. I think we need a genuine option who can come in and supplement him and give him rest, give him rotation. Because I believe at times last season, some of his worst performances, I'm thinking of Man City away, came when he played a lot and probably too much football. Um, so I don't think we can go into the season again with him as our only natural, in inverted commas, defensive midfielder. Um, it's not Tyler Morton. He needs a lot of football away from Liverpool, in my opinion, on loan. Um, so I do believe we need to sign someone, quite frankly. I don't think we'll spend over the odds, and I think he'll be very young. And I do think he will be someone who can play in more advanced roles as well. So plays a little bit of a DM, can play, can fill other holes. Because I think we're all forgetting about your Curtis Joneses and your Harvey Ellis of this world as well in this conversation. Who are going to be part of this midfield next year. So, yeah, I, to summarise, um, I think Bellingham definitely on the agenda. And I think we'll save money this summer with a view to landing him next year. Because all the players we just spoke about are going to be another year older. Um, and I think Bellingham is sort of the long-term succession plan. But for me right now, I still think we need someone for all the reasons I just outlined. Yeah, I think I think you're correct there. Um, when, obviously, Fabinho wasn't in the team, you saw how much of an impact that had on Liverpool. Uh, he is the kind of player that, it, it's your spine, isn't it? It's the, the players that you need the, the most in those games. Um, and you've mentioned there that you, you need... Uh, that style of player. So I'm going to ask you to give me a name of the player. I already have seen a bit of who you want. Um, and I'll, I'll also come to another player who I'm thinking of, not for that position, but 
for the midfield role that you've put as an attacker, who I thought mm. was a midfielder, but like a box to box. Uh, but first of all, give me your replacement. Well, not replacement, but back up for Fabinho, yeah. who can do box to box. Yeah, just to say, I really like the Lima and Berea shouts. Um, my only sort of thing with those two is they're both 25. Now, I'm not for one single second suggesting that's too old, but they are sort of arriving in the peak of the career. And I think we've got a pretty peak midfield, if I can use that term. Um, so I don't think we'd actually give the football to the likes of Berea or Lyman that they'd, they'd want and they'd need. Um, for me, I think we're going somebody, I'd be going for somebody younger. Um, and it's Ryan Gravenberch um, because he's only 20 for a start, which is obviously ridiculously young. And it kind of fits the model that we've been signing recently. We've been signing very young players. Um, obviously, Carvalho, Ramsey to throw into that mix as well. Um he, like I think Dave mentioned about Lima earlier on, has only got a year left on his contract as well at Ajax. Um, now, I know signing a player from the Dutch League comes with all the usual caveats, but there have been exceptions to that rule. Um, Luis Suarez did okay when he came from there. Um, not for one single second, suggesting he's going to have the same impact. But he is, like I say, 20 years old, full Dutch international, so he's got experience there. Um he scored three times last season, um, provided six assists as well. So we've got an eye for getting involved in goals, whilst also being... He played a relatively strong amount of football as a defensive midfielder as well. Now, he's probably his preference is to play in more sort of advanced roles um, as like a normal midfielder. Um, but he can cover as a DM, and I think that's what we're looking for. I think somebody who can do both and can sort of slot in for Fabinho is crucial. Um, so yeah, I'd be going for him personally. I don't know what you guys think on that. Well, I, I don't want to break your heart. I'm going to be honest, but on the 25th of May, Fabrizio Romano said, "Gravenberch deal, here we go. Gravenberch will join Bayern on a permanent move deal set to be announced. Here we go. Full set to be announced. Was nothing for me. I know, um, but apparently buying. Uh, are also, oh my, I've just carried on reading it, and they're also prepared to push on Lima, so there's two figures down. Um, on one post, he's took two, two players from you there, but once again, like I said earlier, um, none of that's being announced, and no. these are just, I mean, even though, you know, Fabrizio Romano is very highly regarded, Things about Liverpool, I hear from Paul Joyce first, and then I hear from Fabrizio Romano. So he's not always the one to first announce something and get it correct. Um, but I, I do like the idea of grabbing Birch. I think he's a really good young talent. I think he'd do brilliant under Jurgen Klopp. Um, I think he's the type of player, he, he just looks a really humble guy, but I think he'd do unbelievable under the love that Klopp had given him. Um, but the player that I wanted to come to, yeah, because you put him as an attacker, was Nkunku. And I think he is brilliant. And I say brilliant because I've, I've watched him. I've seen him. I've seen glimpses of him, but I've also watched the Bundesliga when I've been a bit bored. There's not much of the football on. Um, and he's been immense um, for Leipzig. I think he's been one of their best players. I think uh, they, they won the whatever trophy it was. I forgot what it is. Um, but 
he, you know, he, he was on the floor, couldn't walk, and then he, he, he scored a penalty in the penalty shootout. But he looks like a really fast-paced. Uh, he's got loads of goals this season. Um, a very attacking-minded midfielder, but also uh, does the dirty work as well, which I like. He's very box-to-box. So what, what do you think of him first, Dan? Because he was on your list of players, but you'd put him down as an attacker. Yeah, I did. Yeah, um, incredibly versatile. So you're right to almost fluctuate what he could be in terms of you can't really put him in any box. Um, but yeah, I mean, 55 direct goal contributions last season. I mean, those numbers are just, quite frankly, ridiculous. Um, the reason I sort of put him as like a luxury sort of signing is because I've got a preference as to who replaces Manny, which is who we'll come on to a little bit later, obviously. Um but there's no doubt about it. Signing someone like Nkunku who can essentially play anywhere um, from sort of an attacking midfielder to a centre-forward to either wing is a no-brainer. Now, similar to what I said with Berea and Lima a minute ago, you've, if you sign someone of that calibre, he's got to play. Like, essentially every game. His form's been that electric in the Bundesliga last season. He pretty much has to play every game. Um, and I'm not sure we're in a position... To offer him that, like, there's not many players at Liverpool who get that luxury right now. Um, you're probably looking at Salah, Van Dijk, Fabinho and Alisson, potentially, um, with all the rotation that goes on around that. So if he'd be happy to sort of accept that role and to play that sort of rotational role with your Diaz's, your Jotters, whoever else it may be, then that, that's happy days. And I'll take him like a shot. Because <laughs> like you say, I think he's been absolutely out of this world, his form. Um, he's got senior fans' recognition as well on the back of it because he's just been electric. But, yeah, I, I do think he... I've took the word, and you may well have done the same, I've took the word dream to its very extreme on him because I just don't see where he fits in as naturally as the rest. Like, we've seen today, we could potentially be willing to sanction Takumi Minamino's exit, which I don't want to break your heart on, Chloe, because I know how much of a fan you are. But... And Origi obviously has gone essentially as well to AC Milan. So there is space for another attacker there. Um, I, I, I do think I'm being slightly greedy by saying we could swap those two for Nkunku. But in terms of the versatility and what he could offer, then we certainly could. But like I say, my big concern would be, in a ridiculous way, just how good he is. And he would demand regular, and I mean regular action. Um, so I do think there's a drawback on that. Yeah, I mean, like you said, with Henderson area, though, he, the, him and Thiago can't play 90 minutes. It's yes. just that simple. They have struggled this season to both play 90 minutes. Usually, Henderson is maybe the first or second sub. Um, and we're talking about five subs now coming back in, aren't we? So, yeah, true. True. you know, the, there's a lot there that, that we can use with that. And for me, I just look at Nkunku and it looks like he's set the world alight at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um and like like I've said at times, we need a plan B um, because Liverpool, when people go five at the back or we, we have to break down a block, you saw it in the Champions League, somehow that ball just didn't go in the back of the net and we've got no idea how, but it didn't. And the, the thing is, is maybe sometimes we need someone from midfield who can overlap and make that run and get in the box or have a shot from the edge um, and, you know, make something of it. And I think him driving box to box... Um, I think he could do a job, and I especially think that if he learns how to play the Klopp way, 
He's got bundles of energy. Um, he could he could definitely do it. But David, just to round this section up, your thoughts on on you know the midfielders we've said and, and what you think about them um, before we move on to the next segment. Well, Gravenberg's obviously one of the most kind of like highly regarded um, young players in Europe, really. Um, and we know Ajax is a big talent factory. Mm. My my concern with him would potentially be purely from the standpoint that that Dan said, you know, as a Fabinho backup, I'm not really sure that would kind of be his best role. I think in terms of defensive midfield, I think you could play him alongside Fabinho in a 4-2-3-1, you know, because there's going to be games where Thiago is rotated or, or isn't available or, you know, whatever reason. So that could be viable, I think, because from what I've seen about Gravenberg, he likes to sort of, um, you know, really drive the ball upfield. And that isn't something we see Fabinho do. And there's certainly no. an argument to be had that you don't want players who are an exact match stylistically in every position. You want someone who can give you something different. Um, and Gravenberg actually comes out with his stats as, as similar to, to Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Obviously, you know, that isn't an exciting name for Liverpool fans. That's someone who's kind of underachieved in his career. But just in terms of his actual playing style, obviously Loftus-Cheek is renowned as someone who can just, you know, drive past opponents and is quite good at that side of the game. So I think, yeah, maybe he could work with someone there providing the extra security. Um, and certainly interesting to shout, I think the contract situation um, makes it one that's definitely worth considering, at least assuming Bayern haven't got in there already. Um and yeah, on Nkunku, I mean, there isn't too much else you can say. I think it's really telling that Chloe's picked him as a midfielder and Dan has picked him as a forward because yeah. it just shows how, you know, it's insane the versatility that he has. He pops up, he popped up in about six different positions, you know, kind of playing decent minutes in each one. Um, I think, you know, the, the point about is the amount of goal contributions he has. I checked yesterday, there's only three players in the top five leagues who, who've managed more. Mbappe with 65, Benzema with 59, and Lewandowski with 57. So, you know, to be in that kind of company um, is insane. And obviously, you know, if you came to the Premier League, those numbers are going to fall quite sharply. Um, and there is a debate going on at the moment about this whole idea of the Bundesliga tax. Um, but really, you've got to put that kind of thing in context because, yes, you have players like Timo Werner, who's, you know, he has basically flopped at Chelsea. You know, Jovic, I think, went, went from Frankfurt to Real Madrid. That didn't work at all. Sancho, the jury still out on him. And the jury is probably still out on players like Christian Pulisic, Kai Havertz, and, and probably Naby Keita as well, if we're being completely honest. But then on the other hand, you've got players like Kevin De Bruyne, Aubameyang, Sane. You know, they've all been hit, I'd argue, in the Premier League. You know, a couple of them have left for various reasons, but I think it's not they've never looked like they were out of their depth at all. And obviously, De Bruyne's one of the best players the league's ever seen, really. So I think it comes down more to you know, the circumstance that the team's in, the coaching quality, the system, all things like that, than it does a particular league. Um, so whilst those numbers would dip, it is a sign and that would um, very much excite me. Um, and I think he's potentially someone as well who, who could be in the conversation to replace Mane. Yeah, 100%. And um, that that is a beautiful segue to the Mane hmm. Uh, situation that's been going on. What I will say is, I'll throw two more names in that um, dream. You use the word dream for Nkongu, so I'll, I'll do another dream. Um, Goretzka and Kimmich. Kimmich more than Goretzka, but there's two that 
if if you know my eyes could look anywhere as as a Liverpool person, I'd look at them too. They've been brilliant. Um, yeah. But moving on to Sadio Mane, um, this one it's a bit mental for me because I feel like he said he said before the the Champions League. Um, I'll announce it, it's something special. And that made me think, surely you wouldn't say it's special to leave a club that's a Georgia and you can clearly tell everyone adores you. And yet it seems like he's he's out um, and things have happened this week in the media um, which have upset Liverpool fans. And uh, I think sometimes we can be a bit overdramatic, um, but Mane has been adored. And there's a lot of people who think he hasn't. Um, there's a lot of people who think Salah get a lot more love than Mane. Um, but I can assure you, everyone inside Anfield, every single week, sings Mane's song. We adore him. The media love the speculation of Salah because Salah's the one who will come out on social media like he did before the Champions League and say words and whether they've bit him on the arse or not. I, I, you know, we didn't win the Champions League, so now it, he does look a bit stupid for doing that. But that's his kind of character. Sadio Mane is not that. Sadio Mane is a very quiet guy which is why it's probably a bit shocking that all of this has came out out of nowhere but I'll stick with you David what do you first think about everything that's happened with Mane are you annoyed saddened a bit concerned like how it's got to this point because it felt like he was adored by every single person at this club not just the fans but from top to bottom inside so I'm not too sure why you'd want to leave what you won't do anywhere else is you won't get the love from the fans that you'll get at Liverpool Football Club. So, for me, it is a bit concerning how maybe the Salah contract or something has made him feel this way. I mean, first things first, it makes me sad. <laughs> I can't I can't lie because, you know, this is one of the kind of the main pieces of this team that we've all kind of fallen in love with over the years. And, like, the, pro- the very real prospect of him leaving now is quite sad and it will feel like the end of an era, um, in a way. And... I mean, the point about him not being loved like elsewhere as much as he would Liverpool. I mean, this whole thing that that run was on on social media between Salah and Mar- like Salah and Mane, like uh, followers and stuff. I'm not sure how big a deal it actually is. Um, I do think Liverpool fans do have a lot of affection for Mane. I mean, it wasn't even that long ago that we'd be talking about Mane was the one getting all the love. Why isn't Salah appreciated as much as he should be? Kind of thing. I don't. I don't know if you if you remember that, but that was certainly something. That was kind of a narrative at one point. I do think that it could work for uh, Mane at Bayern, I should say, because you look at the other moves that players have made that you know leaving Liverpool and it's backfired. Obviously, Coutinho, the big example, and Wijnaldum to a lesser extent as well. I think the circumstances just haven't been right. I mean, what they've been walking into. Um, and certainly, Coutinho went to Barcelona and Klopp said that thing to him about, you're just going to be another player. I think if Mane goes to Bayern, I think he is the biggest star in that team personally because Lewandowski looks like he's leaving and I think Mane would be sold as the replacement, whether he is in it positionally or not. I think that is kind of the symbolic thing of it. So I think that the kind of space and, and the environment is there. And he wants the new challenge by the looks of it. I don't think it's an overt issue as much as you know wanting to test himself in the way that Thiago and Rafael Varane wanted to test themselves when they joined Liverpool and Man United. Um, to be honest, I don't think that it's too much in it, more so than that. Um, obviously, we'll find out. I'm sure more details will emerge about what happened. And I said when we discussed it a few weeks back that I do 
wonder about whether the whole contract thing dragging on has backfired um, in terms of Liverpool have left it too late and players have had their heads turned, essentially. So, yeah, it, it makes me sad. And in terms of the, the level of concern that I have, you know, it's very... It's a real shame insofar as Mane's form has, has picked up so much this calendar year. He's looked like he's reinvented himself as this false nine. And it's it's huge shoes to fill. I think we're going to find out with this replacement whether these players are thriving because of the system that's been put in place. And that's a suggestion that some people have made that you can almost put players into this into this side. And if they've got the right attributes, they, they will get big numbers in terms of goals and assists. Or, or is it the case that Mane is just, you know, the, pretty much the very best in this position and, and there is no one who can live up to his level? So that's a very, very big and very important question and, and we're going to find out the answer to it. Yeah, I think what you mentioned there, um, sometimes as fans, you adore the football club, don't you? So you kind of, you think everyone should just love living in Liverpool and, and wearing the badge and not want anything else. And the the one thing that Mane, you know, can't be taken off him is that he is a Liverpool legend. He has put himself in glory. He's been one of our greatest players. He's been immense. The year we won the Premier League, he was, he was our best player. Um he, he has been unbelievable for us and um, it, it's an extremely sad time to see him go if he does. I, I really hope he doesn't because not just is he, he obviously a brilliant footballer, um, but he, he just seemed like every, every time you saw him, he was smiling, he was happy. Um, he obviously worked his ass off on the football pitch. He was unbelievable. It seemed like he loved the fans, um, but sometimes obviously being in the same situation. You, you've also got to think of how much um, these players put their body through and um, also the fact that he could go to Bayern and earn um, 350000 a week where Liverpool offer him that. I don't know why you'd need that much money anyway, but players, football players do. Um, so, I, yeah, I feel like I, I read a thing the other day, Dan, and it was something like he wanted over 300000 similar to, to what Sal is basically saying. Yeah. And Liverpool just won't do that because we're breaking an entire system. And you know what? Someone said to me the other day, I saw a post, and it was like just a massive thanks to Alison and Virgil who signed their contracts with not a fuss. They didn't ask for more money. I mean, Virgil van Dijk, arguably the best centre-half in the world right now, is on just over 200,000, which is a lot to all of us, but to a footballer, yeah. it's not a lot. When you look at, obviously, you, you, Kevin De Bruyne, is, Sergio Ramos is probably on near 400,000. Um, so, you know, the, the fact that Salah and Mane won't settle for near 250 or something is a bit mad um, when Virgil van Dijk and Alison Becker, you know, two of the best in their respective positions, signed without a care in the world. There was, you know, they've signed the best years to Liverpool Football Club. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it does make me kind of think what, what's gone wrong there for our two best players in attacking positions to just, to, to not sign and it to be left until the very last moment. Yeah, so just on the Mane situation, you're obviously right, and we should be sort of, you know, we are fortunate in a sense that Van Dyke and Alisson were willing to commit their best years to the club because the two world class, best in their position sort of footballers. Um, defenders and goalkeepers tend to be different beasts when it comes to um, salaries. Generally speaking, that's kind of been the case throughout football, so maybe there's something at play there. Um, 
But yeah, just on the on the on the Salah sort of situation thrown into the mix, I suppose, you know, whatever we were willing to offer to Salah, um, that could well be heightened now with Manny. And we were never gonna sort of give them both what they wanted, I suppose you'd say, and sort of bumper new deals. It just wasn't feasible for the club. Um but now when and if Mane does go, they could potentially be improved terms for Salah on the table, um, which you never know, might well see him stay. But regardless of that, um, I've been a little bit disappointed in the Mane situation, to be honest. I know he's been misquoted at times and you know we, we all saw what he said, like you alluded to before the Champions League, and it was, oh, it's going to be something special. And like you say, it makes you think, oh, he's staying then because something special isn't leaving a club that, you know, in fairness, you give absolutely everything to, but vice versa as well. So to say it was something special and then essentially say, oh, I'm off. I wasn't a huge fan of it, I can't lie. Um, but at the same time, what an incredible servant, what an incredible footballer. It'll be a sad day, you know, the day Bayern Munich finally offer more than a packet of crisps to actually buy him. Um, but at the same, I'm relatively relaxed about what happens next and I owe all of that to what Jurgen Klopp has done um, in years gone by when a key player left even when Coutinho left under sort of the early days of Klopp before oh here we go again what happens next not anymore like Jurgen Klopp has instilled such confidence and belief in me and what we do as a football club that it'll be okay like incredible footballer you know what a time he has given us alongside many others but we'll be fine um, and part of that being fine, I hope. Now, a lot has happened sort of, you know, on the day of recording this about this man. Um, but for me, it's a no-brainer. And I've got to say, I thought it was somewhat of a no-brainer from playing against him in the Champions League. Um, I actually earmarked him as more of a Firmino replacement, potentially, in the long term. Um, but with Mane moving centrally a lot in the back half of this season, like Dave alluded to as a false nine, it all just seems to make sense. Um, and it's Darwin Nunes. Just what an incredible specimen, quite frankly, is the first thing I'd have to say. He's just, as an athlete, he's absolutely outstanding. And there's so much to work with there because like, we're a team full of athletes, essentially. And one of sort of the toughest demands Jurgen Klopp imposes on the players is how much work they have to get through. So you've got to be willing and able to do it. And I think Darwin Nunes is. I think we've seen that when we played against him. He was everywhere for them. Like, they weren't a fantastic side, Benfica. But as long as he was on the pitch, they were always in the game, even at Anfield. Like, he had the ball in the net five times. And they never felt like they were completely out of it. And he gave Van Dijk and whoever else alongside a a torrid time, quite frankly. And we needed Alisson to keep us in that game at stages because of Nunes. So... For me, he can play from the left as well, which obviously something Manny's done for a hell of a lot of his Liverpool career. Um, but his his main role is as like an almost a bit of a throwback centre forward, because he is so big and he is so strong. And thirty four goals last season, he knows where the net is, and six of them were in the Champions League, so he's done it at elite level. Um, I'm not going to poo poo the Portuguese league because we just signed a lad called Louis Diaz from there, who turns out to be decent. So it's all there. Like, I think we're going to have to battle Man United, bad looks of it, and potentially Newcastle as well. But reports today from, you know, like you've touched upon earlier with Paul Joyce, a man I think we all know, love and trust, 
suggest that we're definitely in the mix. And that, for me, would be... We've seen Man City sign Haaland. Us signing Nunes is close to being just as big a statement for me. Yeah, I've got to say... When I was thinking of uh, the players that we could buy, Nunes obviously came into my mind, but I was concerned that he might not be able to do it for us in the sense of, you mentioned Nkunku there, plays in the Bundesliga. Um, and, and Diaz, I felt, fit our style a lot. You looked at him and you knew that, yeah, he, he could come in and, and do the exact job as a Mane, as a seller. Um where Nunes, maybe it's good because, as I mentioned, Plan B earlier, it seems like Liverpool doesn't really have a Plan B with Nunes, who's six foot something. Trent, with the, the passing he has, put one on his in the box and his head's going to be on that ball, hopefully. Um, and maybe that's where goals come from as well. Maybe it's a different plan. Maybe it means that even though Bobby Firmino's brilliant, even though Jota's really good, Maybe Darwin Nunes is a different type of player who um, you, gives defenders a bit more to worry about in a sense of, I've got to stay touch tight, but I also know that if I stay touch tight, I'm probably going to get rolled or, or whatever. So um, for me, when, when we got linked to Harry Kane at first, I thought, absolutely not. <laughs> That's not happening. No. Um, and I didn't really like Harry Kane. But then you hear people around, you start to talk about Harry Kane and you're thinking... Well, actually, maybe. And then you get a bit excited, as we all do with transfers. Um, and then I think he went on like a Jimmy Kimmel show or something and said something about Liverpool being the, you know, the most, you know, ferocious city to, to play in um, as, as a, obviously a Spurs player. And you think, oh, that's a bit, you know, it's a bit of a coincidence, isn't it, that he's mentioned Liverpool there. And you just, you get really excited, you know, apparently is because to be honest, it's just a footballer coming to join the team. But when you adore football as much as we do, that is literally, it's like Christmas Day and all this, isn't it? So, um, Darwin Nunes, I'm hearing, I'm in many group chats and I'm getting more and more excited. So if this one falls through, I'm going to be absolutely fuming because mm. I went from, I don't know what you thought, David, but I, I'm still a case of, I'm worried that, and to Kimi Minamino, we all know I absolutely adore this man with my entire heart. But when we bought him from Salzburg, we all thought, wow. And it was kind of, he played against us once and we, you know, once or twice and we thought he was exceptional, let's buy him. I don't want us to do that with Darwin Nunes. Yeah, he played good against us. Yeah, he's done it in a couple of games in the Champions League. But can you do it week in, week out? I mean, you know, like we always mention, even the bottom half of the Premier League, nothing is a guaranteed win. Um, you know, we look at Norwich a couple of years ago, they beat Manchester City. They had their way with Manchester City. On any given day, anything in the Premier League can happen. Um, it is not like the Portuguese League. It's, it's not like a lot of the things that Darwin Nunes will probably be playing in. The, the physicality is just a different beast as well. Um, and the thing that I will say with Luis Diaz is Luis Diaz in that Champions League final. I mean, he only came in in February. But Luis Diaz, after about 35 minutes, I thought to myself, oh my God, he's goosed. Like, he just, he, he looked shattered and he got taken off. And everyone was fuming. But in that stadium, I sat there and I was looking at him and I was like, he's too tired. You can just see his legs going here. And I think the players also need to adapt to the speed of the Premier League. So uh, you've obviously heard me getting a little bit excited about Darwin Nunes. If he joins, I'll support him with everything. But I am still a bit apprehensive just because 
I know that the Premier League, I know that challenging against City especially, and you're probably going to have to beat City in everything, every single competition to win anything. I know that it's an absolutely different beast to what these players are used to. So what do you think, David, on, on Darwin Nunes? I mean, I'll start with the physicality point and, you know, being able to keep up the hard yards, essentially. I think that would be a compelling argument for getting this deal sorted in the next few weeks because then then that gives them a full pre-season and we know what Liverpool's pre-seasons are like um, and, and every club to a degree as well in terms of the the physical demands um, that are put on the players and how that prepares them for the, for the marathon of the season. Um, and I think that'll certainly benefit Diaz. Um, the next thing I'd say is, you know, you talk about not wanting to sign him off the back of, you know, just him impressing against us. Um, and obviously, you know, there's the extra element to that and he, he's kept it up throughout the season. I think the way I look at that is I, I completely understand what you're saying. And I think maybe with Minamino, I think he probably wasn't a target, but then he played really well against us. And we were like, hang on, he's got a 7.25 million release clause. We may as well kind of think. With Nunes, I think it's a bit different to that in terms of, I imagine he's someone who was on our radar long before the game. And I think it's advantageous. You know, we saw Diaz. Diaz came over to play at Anfield in the autumn. And I think when the players get to play at Anfield, it, it almost acts as like your sales pitch is being done for you just by them kind of European nights. Yeah. I think it works quite well. Whilst also at the same time, when they play well against you, I think, I think Diaz did play quite well at Anfield. When they play well against you, it's like it reinforces your desire as well. Um, to go out and get them, and I'm sure like the players in the dressing room are, like talking about it and all all that sort of thing. And on the uh, Portuguese league, um, Dan obviously alluded to it. We've got we've had Diaz coming in. I don't think Liverpool are kind of snobby about um, the leagues and stuff. And you know we've seen quite a few Portuguese um, players sort of coming from that Primeira Liga and and thriving in the Premier League, not not just Diaz. Um, so I don't think that's that's not too big a worry for me. Um, Whilst you know, you would expect kind of a drop in output again, um, based on based on the kind of step up, um, in terms of the quality of the league, um, so it's yeah, it's not something that that worries me all that much, um, to be honest. I don't think the Portuguese league is too far off, um, the French league really in terms of breaking into that top five, and I think the clubs at the top, sort of Sporting. Porto and Benfica are all really good at developing and spotting talent themselves. I think Liverpool respect that. Um, I see what you're saying, though, Chloe, in terms of it's exciting because this is one of the best young strikers that's out there at the moment. But there are some little like nagging things in the back of your mind, especially for the kind of money that's being you know mentioned here. We're talking about a deal that could potentially be the most expensive in Liverpool's history. And so from that point of view, you do have to consider the risks that are involved. Um, and I've obviously done a bit of digging on him because, um, you know, these links are getting more and more serious by the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that kind of stands out as a positive is that he's not just this kind of one-dimensional striker. Like, I think we saw an element against us as well. Like, he can kind of carry carry the ball um, and he's very good at dribbling. So, you know, he offers that kind of presence, you know, outside the area. I think, you know, physically, as you've alluded to, he's very impressive. And I just checked, because you mentioned it there, Chloe, not someone that I crossed my mind before, but in terms of the, you know, the, the aerial presence elements of it, he scored 68 goals um, in his career. 
Um, 11 of those have been headers as well. So he obviously does have that asset. But in terms of a concern that you might flag up, because he is still a young player who's, who's still quite raw, his, his numbers when it comes to kind of link up play and retaining the ball um, aren't that great. And obviously that's something that could improve. You know, you can expect a lot of things to improve about him as he gets older and, and would work under a coach like Klopp. But, you know, you do have to be wary of those things. I think that's something that has really increasingly frustrated me with Diogo Jota, for example, is not being able to hold onto the ball outside the penalty area when he's having to kind of do things that aren't shooting almost. Um, so that risk assessment does have to be carried out. And I think expectations would have to be more tempered than they should be based on the price tag. So I think for Liverpool with this one, I mean, like like I say, you know, to repeat, he, I, I do recognise that he's one of the best young strikers and it's a, a response that you get in Haaland. For 85 million, I'm not sure. I think Julian Ward's going to have to try and do a bit of a Michael Edwards here and drive that price tag down a fair bit. Um, some people say, I'm not bothered. Money, it's not, Money's no object kind of thing, but I think it is an object for Liverpool. Um, and I think it helps to mitigate the risk. So I'd be looking to push the price tag down a bit, but yeah, certainly, certainly very excited by everything I've been reading kind of today and it's all developing all the time. And Yeah, it is. And like I said, um, I've got, you know, I'm, I'm really excited if he, he does come to us. I'm not saying that he's not a brilliant player. I'm just saying that when you spend this, like you think of Mo Salah, Mo Salah was 35 mil. So it wasn't like a ridiculous fee. Um, he was relatively young. You know, he hadn't done it at Chelsea, but he'd done it really good in Roma for several seasons. And you thought, OK, well, it might have not been our first choice, but he's, he's definitely fitting the style of, of what we need. Let's go for it. Uh, with Darwin Nunes, it seems like he's a very young player playing in a league that is very good, has talent. You've got Ruben Diaz there, Jal Felix, obviously. Uh, Bruno mm-hmm. Fernandes even came from there. So, you know, this is... Portugal's one of the places that... You, you've got Ronaldo, who's, you know, one of the greatest to ever do it. But uh, you say, you'd be able, there's obviously Portugal's a gold mine for, for these footballers um, and how they, they, they're brought up and, and the, the teams they play for and the academies and everything. But my only thing is, for that much money, you really do need the outcome to be spectacular. Because if not, Liverpool is not like um, Chelsea, who can spend stupid amounts of money on Lukaku and have an awful season and then go back to Inter. It's not like that for Liverpool. We can't just bring in another player because one player hasn't worked well. Um, so I think, I think I'm more nervous because I also know that Mane, which is guaranteed, yeah, 15 to 20 goals, even plus 20 goals a season, he's going. And you're bringing in a young lad who's got to get settled, got to get his feet in. Might not play the exact style that we need, but hopefully he can also have a different plan B for us. Hopefully, you know, you talk about big strikers for Liverpool. Uh, recent years, you talk about Christian Benzeke and obviously Andy Carroll and stuff. And I'm not trying to say they're anywhere near Darwin Nunes. <laughs> but my point is, is that you're looking at a very tall striker and you think, is that is that what fits Jürgen Klopp's style? Bobby Firmino's not tall. You know, our front three's not tall. Jota's not tall. You know, Manny's not tall. All of them have a brilliant leap on them and can edit a ball. So maybe having a player who's more physical, who's more tall, maybe that actually might help us out with, with you know, different options of, of which we can use them. One thing I'll, I'll ask you both before we move on um, to any other signings that you want to throw in there is what do you think now happens to Jota and Firmino? Because if you're spending 
85 plus million on Darwin Nunes. He's going to probably have to start every game, even if he he is trying to get his feet settled. Uh, for that much money, you've got to play him. He's got to be influential. Does Jota, um, for me, I, I want Jota down the middle. That's where I love Jota. I don't want him out wide. I want him down the middle. But the thing is, for me, Luis Diaz still has to, he's been absolutely immense, one of my favourite players, but he still has to get up. And hopefully pre-season can do this, but um, fitness levels, to maintain that throughout the entire season, you have to get used to it and it takes a while. Is Jota then going to be a replacement for Diaz? Is Jota, you know, is Darwin Nunes a backup for Jota? Where does Mino fit in? You know, who's the cover for Salah? Because you think we're going to get rid of Divock. Well, we've got rid of Divock Origi. He's going. Uh, Chamberlain, even though he hasn't been used, there was a period there for the Afghan nations where he was fairly decent. He's another option. He's attacking option. He's got quite a lot of pace. Um, you talk about our, our midfield. There's, There's not... You, you've obviously got Thiago and you've got some really, you know, technically brilliant players, but you've not got people who um, are, are going to score the goals for you. You know, you haven't got a Kevin De Bruyne there. That's just that simple. Um, so my point is, what happens with our... Do we have enough coverage and um, for the front three? And, and what happens with Jota, for me now especially? Well, for me... Um... You, you're right in what you're saying. The big one that stands out there for me is almost a Salah cover, um, but it's really hard to find cover for someone like Mohamed Salah because, like I said earlier, he just doesn't not play football, essentially, apart from AFCON this year. He doesn't miss any games. Um, Manny didn't miss many, but we tended to rotate him a little bit more. But what I will say is I think both Jota and Diaz, I think we've seen Diaz feature on the right a lot more than I was expecting. Um, in his short time with us, even if it was just in games, he didn't necessarily start out there. So I think that's something we'll continue to see. And I think, I think Jota will remain almost that fourth choice. He might be like a perennial fourth choice attacker in this squad that just sort of comes in and out of the side every now and then. And he'll start a couple of games here and there. But for the most part, he'll be a sub because he can play kind of across the front three. So he does offer something that not many people can do. Um, I think Firmino's role will diminish again, but I think he'll certainly still have a part to play. This is obviously all if we sign Nunes. Um, I agree. I think Diaz... What I will say with Diaz is you're right to sort of touch upon his fitness issues, but I think I'm right in saying he played more football than on in Europe, essentially, last season with all the South American stuff thrown in um, and obviously what he did at Porto before joining us. So I don't have many concerns there, really. And I think I seen he was training already yesterday back home in Colombia. So the man's an animal when it comes to football. Um, but yeah, in terms of the attack and reinforcements and the strength and depth, I don't really have any concerns um, if we sign Nunes and stay as we are because I just think the others will come in as and when. And you making the point with Nunes needing to sort of learn, I think even though he is going to cost a lot of money, most of that money will be made up by player sales. So... We're not kind of putting ourselves in a difficult situation whereby we've got to find 85 plus million or whatever it ends up being. And because that we're going to raise that money, you'd imagine, through the sale of Mane, Oxley Chamberlain, Minamino, um, and any others that might go around it as well. So I don't have any concerns with the price tag, quite frankly. Um, and unfortunately, it's what we need to do in order to keep up. Um, but yeah, I just think, like I said, I don't think. Jota or Diaz will be affected with their minutes. I think they'll both play similar roles next season. Yeah, and for you, David, what do you what do you think about Jota? Because 
we're talking about a player coming in and out of the team that at one stage was probably one of our best players. Uh, he was up there as, as one of your first names on the team sheet. He was that good. Um, that goal against Everton is, in my mind, I think about that nearly every single night. It was that unreal. But we're talking about a player who who nearly challenged for top goal scorer within the first half of the season. He got injured, I think it was before the League Cup final, and he hasn't looked like the same player. I remember he played in the League Cup or something, and you all just looked at him and you were like, he's not fit, he's not ready, and he's not. you need to get him off, he's, he's still injured. Um, and yet he still hasn't, he hasn't came back to that the form he was in at the at the beginning where it felt like when we first brought him in, he was like, Yeah, he's he's your, your first sub. Um he's, you know, the the magic player who comes on, he's got legs, he has a bit of energy in him, he'll do something off the bench. Now it's like then it obviously went to a case of he's got to start every game. You want him up top before anyone else, Mane on the on the wing or whatever before Diaz came in. And then Diaz came in Mane got moved to central, Diaz played left and, and Jota kind of fell in and out the team again. But um, at one stage, he was absolutely brilliant through the middle, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. And um, I was probably one of his biggest fans at some point. But, you know, what was going on later in the season with, his, you know, the, when the goals dried up, it sort of made you realise the limitations even more so um, in his game. Um, and that was worrying for me. Um, so, you know, I, I'm confident that he can improve that side of his game. I think he has to as well. Um, I, I'd say, I mean, it's a very good question, to be honest, because, and it's not something I've really thought about getting swept up in all the excitement today. How does it kind of impact these players? Because you've got kind of three you can play on the left now, if you include Nunes in that three, you can play through the middle. And only one really who's ideally suited to playing on the on the right in Salah. But, you know, um, Diaz and Jota can play there. So my expectation would be, that we'd see Salah, um, Salah on the right, Nunes through the middle, and um, and Diaz on the left for the most part, and then you'd have Jota as a backup to kind of all three. And and I think for me, you know, didn't play much last season, might not play much this year in what might be his final season at the club. Um, so that'll be my expectation with it. But you are you are right that it it's probably bad news for both of those players if they come in. But again, it's like I think I think Dan might have mentioned it earlier. It's like you've almost got to put yourself in situations where you're going to give yourself squad headaches because if you want to compete with this Man City team, then, I mean, that's something that Pep Guardiola has to juggle with all the time, isn't it? So I think that's just the reality of the situation. Yeah, it is. And, and uh, you know, the, the more players we bring in, the I wouldn't say more happy, but more excited I am. Uh, this is like pre-season. I'm very sad that there's no football on. There's usually, you know, there should have been the World Cup, which would have been exciting in terms of you've still got something to some football to watch. But um, in the meantime, transfer windows are very exciting if your team. Um, Liverpool obviously get linked to everyone, but this this seems like we kind of do need to invest and we know we need to invest right about now, especially with, with the outgoings. But before we round up our transfer special, um, I will put it to the panel and ask them, is there any more players they wanted to throw in there who has either been linked with Liverpool or they'd, you know, maybe someone who's gone under the radar who you'd love to have, um, no matter what kind of squad or they have. I'll, I'll come to you, to David, first. Well... Yeah, I'll just throw off kind of a few names in really without going into into too much depth. Um, if you're looking at players who can play on the right, Rafinha and Bowen would probably be the two, wouldn't they? Yeah. Um, 
obviously if you sign them, it's like does Salah got does Salah play up front, depending on what happens with Nunes, or are they replacements for Salah when Salah goes in twenty twenty three? Both players that I really like. Um, you know, Rafinha's got twenty nine goals and assists in sixty seven games for for the Leeds team that finished sort of ninth in his first season, barely survived. Um, he scored 11 for them last season. You know, he was almost having to try and do it single-handedly at times. And it looked like it, it kind of took its toll on him a bit. Um, and he only got three assists, but his expected assist was nearly seven. So you, that is a sign to me that if you put him in a better team, he explodes. And he's an absolutely electric player. And it's one of them where it's, you almost guarantee that when he does make that step up, he's going to be a success, to be honest, because he, he's just got it. Um, and Bowen, someone who's more suited to potentially playing through the middle, again, whether if we get Nunes, you potentially wouldn't see that. But, you know, his performances last season, his output was was top draw. Like, only Salah, Son, Kane and De Bruyne got more goal involvements than Bowen did. Um, now, obviously, all playing for better teams than he is. So, he's someone who's getting better all the time. And, yeah, just two names to throw in. Um, just kind of recklessly, almost. Federico Chiesa, Oof. I think... It, is a player that people would absolutely fall in love with because he he just plays like with his heart on his sleeve. Um, and they, everyone at the orders was just kind of like entranced by him, to be honest. He can play across the front line. Getting him out of Juventus would be a bit of a, a challenge, though. And uh, the other one I'd say would be if we don't get Nunez um, and we want to go down the conventional number nine route, potentially Victor Osimhen. But you're looking at big money for him as well. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed that. I like the the Baron Charles Rafinha. You know, these are players that that we mention all the time. That um, Liverpool, with how much possession they have, with how many chances they create, we create about twenty a game. Not all of them hit the target, but we create unbelievable chances every game, um, inside and and in and around the box. Uh, and if you you obviously give these chances to these players, they obviously get more goals. Um, Rafinha, I didn't know he'd done that well. It kind of it, it kind of seemed like he went under the radar because uh, of the lead squad he was in. Um, but Dan, do you have any others to add? Uh, I mean, I think those two are brilliant. Keys is obviously a dream. Yeah. Um, what happened to that Doku? I think it. Do you remember the Euros? Jeremy Doku. Yeah. yeah, Belgian. I think he's still. I think he's still out in France. To be honest. Um, we were heavy linked with him for many yeah. years. I think he and his family came to Anfield, didn't they? I think we are still sort of tentatively linked. His the problem with him is he's a bit of a not so quick, not so powerful Domatriore in oh. that he's very skillful, very he had a really good Euros, if you remember. He was yeah. a bit electric and he, he caused nightmares, but when it comes to getting anywhere near the goal, his end product is it leaves a lot to be desired. Um, let's put it that way. Um, still young, still developing. But I don't think he's... When you say he's not quite the finished article, I don't even think he started writing it yet. Uh, <laughs> which is probably his problem from our perspective. Um, I, I, Rafinha, I really like. I still... Like I touched on with the midfielders, I have... I think about it sort of too logically, I think. Um, in terms of I'd love to just throw all these players at our squad and say, go on, deal with that. But these people need to play football. And I don't see how signing, I think Rafinha's 25. And it's not nothing against the shout from Dave and the same for Javid Bowen. I think they're both great and they work really well with Liverpool. But they need to come and play regular football. Um, and I just don't think they'd get it with us because of Salah. I think the minute he goes, is a different conversation for either of them. Um, but right now, I'd be looking at someone younger to fill that role. Um, I'll tell you one name I will throw into the mix after watching, for my sins, watching international football last night. 
Um, Jamal Musiala, what a player. I don't know if you've seen the game. I haven't seen much of him prior to it at Munich, I must admit, but he was absolutely phenomenal. The lad, he's 19 and he is a beast. I was so impressed with him. So, recency bias playing a huge part. Um, I'd be all over him like a shot. You could, I'd almost take him over Jude Bellingham based on what I've seen last night. He was incredible. Well, I mean, you know, Dan's already picked his, his player for 2024 there. <laughs> He'd take him now, but um, I'm not too sure if he's... Uh, to be fair, I've heard quite a lot of good things about him. Oh. I just... I've seen him... He, he, at the beginning of the season, I think he was in the team a bit more than he, he is, well, towards the end for Bayern. Uh, he looked a really good player. I think even towards the end of last season, um, the Champions League. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is obviously the end of our show now. Um we will come back to this at the end of the transfer window to basically reflect and, and see uh, if you know our dreams did come true or not. Um, but a massive thanks, obviously, to Dan and David for jumping on and also to the people who spoke to us about, obviously, Carvalho and Ramsey. Um, this, you know, if you could, please, obviously, rate it five stars on Spotify. We've obviously got a YouTube channel. Um, so, you know, all the support we can get, please, do obviously give us a rate on any platforms, um, but I'll hand it over to David to, for the final word, really, if there's anything he needs to uh, promote, plug, or just say an, a, a nice thanks to us. Well, um, you pretty much covered it, Chloe, but the only things I'd say uh, would be that the links to the uh, Twitter profiles of the uh, two guests that we had are going to be in the description. And yeah, with this transfer episode, um, we're planning to, uh, to come back to it, um, probably at the end of the transfer window and kind of compare back and see whether Liverpool matched our expectations and fulfilled our dreams. So that that's certainly going to be very interesting. So listen out for that one um, in August. Yep, so that that is the end of the show. Nice one for listening. Uh, until the next one, up the nets.